Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, if you're new this morning, my name's Zach. I'm the pastor here at River Club Church. Just so excited to have you joining us today. I want you to know this. We may not know you by name, but we've been praying for you this week. Uh, we've been preparing for you to be here, planning for that. And so as we're in this series called Love Fredericksburg, you know, you might be here and you're like, well, Zach, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure I believe the Bible. I'm not sure, you know, uh, whether I'm, you know, really, I'm kind of pursuing this Jesus thing and what this is really about. And if that's where you are, I'm so glad you're here because I believe this, that God is going to use what we're talking about today um, to, to help you uh, in, in your search for meaning and truth and purpose. And if maybe you are a follower of Christ and you've been here for a long time, I believe this too. God's going to challenge us because his truth is timeless and his word is very practical to our lives as we really dive into that. But before we do that, you know, we are in this series called Love Fredericksburg. And while we're, if you're new, we've been looking at God's call to love for us to love the people right next door. So these could be people in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, maybe your dorm, you know, wherever you live, wherever you reside, these are the people that are around you. And one of the things that we've been talking about is that God wants us to love our neighbor. He was, he was, Jesus was asked, what's the, the secret to life? What's the key to life? And Jesus asked this man, this religious leader who'd asked the question, what do the scriptures say? What does God's word say back in the Old Testament scripture? And the man said, God said to love him, God, with your whole life and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. Do this and you'll live. And so Jesus gives this simple solution to this timeless challenge of how do we find life? How do we live life to the fullest? How do we live in a world where we're making the world a better place? We're making our lives better. And the answer is to love God and love our neighbor. And so we've been looking in this series, what if we did that literally? And we looked at the people closest to us. But, but that's just where we start. The call to love, it goes bigger than that. And before we jump in, we had an opportunity yesterday as a church and partnering with Charlotte Street, um, our, our sister site, sister campus, and uh, White Oak Equipment, and so many people in this area with our annual benefit oyster roast. Um, and, and so if you were a part of that, man, I'm so glad you came out. I know many of you volunteered. Many of you have given to that. Um, every year we gather together and we choose a family um, in our local community who suffered just some hardship. And, and this year, Anne-Marie Francis and her family have gone through some really difficult things. And uh, maybe you know her story, you've heard her story, but I wanted to celebrate that yesterday um, we had over 800 people come through the line and over $32,000 has been generated through the Oyster Roast. Let's praise God for that and thank him for allowing us to be part of that. So awesome. And see, that that's another way that we want to take this, this very, um, very literal idea of loving our neighbor. We want to expand that because it starts there, but it doesn't just stop there. But you know, if you're like me, you know, you, you come to church sometimes and, and, and you, it's easy to kind of like hear what God wants for your life, but then begin to kind of put the nuts and bolts together and get overwhelmed. You know, because, you know, if, if you're like me, you know, I, I listen to what God's saying here and God's telling me that I need to love my neighbor. He's telling me that he wants me to have a better life in doing that and have a better community by practicing this. And, and I, and I, I want to do that. But then as I start looking at the reality of loving those people that are close to me, it's easy to get overwhelmed and say, God, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Monday morning shows up and we've got work and we're commuting and we're driving. You know, those who have kids, we've got that. If you're in school, you've got tests, you've got papers, all this stuff. And it's easy to kind of look at it and say, God, I really want to do this. But this is just seems overwhelming. 
I mean, is it really possible that, that I can live this way, that I can actually live out what you're calling me to do, that I can take your truth and make it practical? Because it, it's so easy to, to get overwhelmed with that. And what I want to talk to you about today is this, is, is I want to just get very practical because if you're like me, you might get overwhelmed. You might feel like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to really be able to do this. And what does it mean if I actually get to know the people around me and I invite them into my life and I get involved in their life? I can barely take care of my life by like why, where it is right now. But what I want to talk to you about today is this, is before we get overwhelmed with this big picture, we need to recognize that, that God is simply challenging us to take a next step. You know, so many things in life happen because we're simply willing to take the next step. And as I want to talk today about this is I want to say, listen, if you're looking at this and you're feeling overwhelmed and maybe you've been hesitant to take that next step, I want to talk to you today about how I believe we can. And maybe what God can do in our life if we ask him to, to help us take that right next step. You know, we're basing this series on a book called The Art of Neighboring, written by two pastors out in Colorado. And, and it's interesting that they, they have this quote in the book that, that kind of got me thinking about this idea of overwhelmed. They say this on page 74. They say, have you ever stared into your garage and thought, I know that I need to spend a day cleaning this place, but I don't know where to begin, Right? I don't know about you, but, but my garage is really two, there's two purposes. There's the one side that's clean and organized that my wife drives the minivan into. And the other side is like a bomb went off, right? The other side is where you crammed everything that you didn't know where to put somewhere else. You know, I don't have a shed or anything, so all our lawn equipment's in there. But if I want to get to something, I've got to take out like 25 things. Anybody's garage like that? Right? And, and I don't know about you, but occasionally, especially when the weather gets warm, you kind of look in there and you go, Man, I should probably clean that up. Like, you know, life would be a lot easier if I actually made some progress there. But then you begin to look at it and you start thinking, but where do I start? You know, because if I, if I move this and I got to move that, and if I do this, I got to do that. And then we get what? We get overwhelmed with the, the challenge and the task. And so what do we do? Well, I'll do that next month, right? And then it never happens. And they say this, I thought this was interesting. They say neighboring can be like that for many of us. Knowing where to start is sometimes the hardest step. And maybe if we're honest today, maybe that's where, where you're struggling. You know, if you've been in with us throughout this series, you're saying, okay, I want to do this. Maybe you're for the first time and you're like, I mean, that sounds like a, that sounds like a great idea. You know, I mean, wouldn't life be so much better if I actually knew the people around me? If we, you know, kind of had this, this community feel. But where do I begin? You know, do I begin with this person, with that person? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I do this? And what we're going to talk about today is really this idea of how can we take the next step? You know, I was at a, a community event this past Thursday for a lunch, and it was some local pastors and um, some county officials in Spotsylvania County. And the county administrator gave some statistics that weren't surprising, but it was different to actually see them written out and spoken out. He said this, that in Spotsylvania County, 75% of people commute outside of the county for work. So 75% of, of the working force here in Spotsylvania County, they commute outside of the county for work. And of that 75%, 80% of those head north on 95. And I did some more research. The average commute time, I think this is one way for these people who are traveling out, is 45 minutes. Some of you guys say 45 minutes. That's nothing compared to what I'm doing. It's the average. 
Because for every person that's driving two hours, there's the person who's, you know, blessed with a 15-minute commute, right? And I started thinking about that, and I was like, man, no wonder we feel overwhelmed. No wonder sometimes when we come to church and, and we look in Scripture and Jesus says, I want you to do this, we start thinking, I don't even know where to start. But see, the reality is this, is that if we want to embrace this challenge for our lives and our communities and our neighborhoods, and if we want to take Jesus literally, this idea of loving our neighbor, we've got to be willing to start somewhere. I came across this quote. It was written by the famous philosopher Anonymous, right? And, and it says, the first step to getting anywhere is deciding you're no longer willing to stay where you are. So the first step of getting anywhere in life, the first step of really saying, okay, how do we practically live this out? Is making the decision, I'm not satisfied with where I am. Every major journey, every major change in life begins with a a little bit of dissatisfaction. You know, I I don't like that my clothes are getting a little, little snug, right? And so I want to get healthy. I don't like that I get winded walking up the stairs, so I need to start working out a little bit, right? I don't like that I'm paying three-quarters of my paycheck toward credit card debt of money I spent two years ago and not today, so I need to change my finances. Like whenever we are dissatisfied with something, whenever we're not comfortable anymore, we want to take that next step. And for some, the reality is this, is that Jesus is making us uncomfortable when it comes to this idea of neighboring. To the point where we, we, just, we can't sit back anymore and ignore the fact that we don't know the people right next door. But where do we begin? You know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a quote talking about the, the power of faith. And he said this, that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. That faith is not about knowing the outcome it's not about knowing exactly how it's going to play out. It's not about knowing if, if this person in the unit next door is going to actually be responsive and receptive to your invitation of friendship. It's not about knowing that. It's about knowing, here's my next step. And so today, I want to go ahead and warn you where we're going to end. We're going to end with a question, with a big blank that says, my next step is what? That if we're going to walk away having today really impact our life. You, me, we're going to have to ask the question, what is my next step? How can I practically do the next thing? Because here's the bottom line. If you're taking notes, write this down. That loving our neighbor is a journey. It's not something that's going to change overnight. But if we truly want to begin to love our neighbor as Jesus loves us, it's about taking, taking one next step at a time. It's not about knowing how it's going to end. It's not about knowing what it's going to be like in two years. It's not about knowing how that conversation is going to go. But it's about saying, I've got to take that right next step. And so in the book, they they talk about this because sometimes we don't really know where to begin. We don't know where we are. And so they they kind of talk about this, this progression of neighboring really has three different phases and so I want you to kind of think about maybe where you are with the people around you. They say we always begin as a stranger. And the stranger is the person that we, we, we see them. Maybe we run into them at the grocery store, you know, in the aisle down, and we say, oh, they're my neighbor. They live two houses down. But we really don't even know their name. And so we've kind of said, okay, let's just begin there. You know, who are the strangers on your block? You know, who are the strangers in your apartment building, your dorm room, right? in your townhouse complex, like, like, like who are those people? 
like, like for, for me and my wife, because I want you to know we're kind of going through this whole thing too, right? Is there's, there's a guy two houses down, and his name's Curtis. So I know his name, not because I met him, but because somebody told me, right? And Curtis has a wife, no idea what her name is. He has a son, I think, that lives there, no idea who he is. And so Curtis is kind of that stranger to me. Like, like I know him, but I don't, I don't know him at all, you know? If it wasn't for my other neighbor who told me his name, I wouldn't even know his name. And so I'm looking at it and saying, okay, Curtis, we're strangers. We don't know each other. And so the next step isn't necessarily to be his best friend, but the next step is to become an acquaintance. And an acquaintance is simply knowing somebody's name. And maybe you're here and you're like, that is so basic. It's so foundational. Well, some of us need that because we are more strangers to the people next door than we are acquaintances. And so when you become an acquaintance with somebody, you take that next step and you now are in an acquaintance. You know their name. You maybe know a little something about them, but you don't really know them. And listen, if you've taken the challenge and you've made that next step with somebody, you've gone over, you've said, hey, you know, you, you've done that. Like, you know, man, that's, that's incredible. That, that's a huge next step. But God didn't call us to be acquaintances with our neighbors. He's called us to live in a relationship with them. Now, some of you are like, do I have to be best friends with all my neighbors? I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. But it's more than an acquaintance. Is that we need to get to know who they are. So Curtis needs to become an acquaintance. And then we need to try to develop a relationship with him. That's the practical steps that we're looking at. And so listen, maybe your step today is simply, if you're new, we have this neighborhood map on the back. Now, we said on week one that a lot of our neighborhoods, they don't look like this. Some of you are kind of like, I live out in the country, and you know, my neighbors would be like over here. You know what I mean? Or maybe you, my neighbor's like, if I live in an apartment building, my neighbor's you know, above or below. But it's just, use this as a reference. But, but maybe do this today. And this may be the place, maybe you're kind of like, this is exactly what God wants for me, and, and that's all I need to listen to the rest of the day. Don't leave, but you can hang, can I hang, here, hang here and do this, right? Is go through and just classify each person. All right, this person's a stranger. This is an acquaintance. Talk about a relationship there. And just see where you are to begin. And then recognize that if we're going to love those people better, then we're going to have to take a next step. And be willing to take whatever step it's going to take from moving to stranger to an acquaintance to actually having some kind of relationship with the people around us. Because Jesus isn't calling us to love people from afar. He's calling us to love people in relationship. Having some consistency, some community there. And see, what's so cool about the commands of Jesus is that Jesus doesn't just tell us to do something and then leave it to us to figure out on our own. That that part of the reason why Jesus lived that the time he lived on the earth was to provide an example for us, if you're his followers, of, okay, how do we actually live out what he's saying? And so what I want to share with you is I want to share with you in the time we have left, really this, this, this idea. How did Jesus neighbor? How did Jesus love people? Not from a distance, but how did he move from being strangers with them to maybe an acquaintance to actually building relationship with people around him? What are maybe the things that if we're going to be willing to take this next step, 
We're going to want God to do in our life to make us more and more like Jesus as the greatest example of what it means to truly love another person. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to a a passage, a story we're going to look at in Luke chapter 5. If you don't, the the words are going to be on the screen. But Luke chapter 5 tells a story of Jesus loving people. And not loving people from a distance, but actually getting involved in the lives of people. Being around people that he didn't know. and, and, And reaching out and developing a relationship. And I think that if we're struggling with what that next step is, one of the things that we need to do is we need to ask God to make us more like Jesus and to learn from his examples. Let's, let's read this story together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. It says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet at his home, and Jesus was the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come not to those who think they're righteous, but to those who know they're sinners and need to repent. And so Jesus, in this story, provides a flesh and blood example of how we can take a next step. What are some of the things that we need to decide on that will motivate us to take the next step in that journey, knowing that if we're going to get to where we want to go, it's not going to be one giant leap, but it's going to be a series of next steps in doing what he's called us to do. So let's look at four things about Jesus here. first one is this is that when it comes to relationships, Jesus always made the first move. Jesus made the first move. So if you look, Jesus is walking on Luke 5, 27, 28. It says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. So Levi is also called Matthew. And so Levi actually becomes one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his 12 called the disciples. We call them the disciples. And, and they met on the side of the road as Jesus came across this tax collector named Levi. Now, had Jesus seen him there before? I don't know. You know, maybe because he was there in his tax collector's booth, so he probably was there a lot. So people would have known who he was. He knew he was a tax collector. He knew all this kind of stuff about him. And so Jesus makes the first move with him. And Jesus doesn't wait for Levi to, hey, hey, Jesus, come here. He doesn't wait for that conversation to happen. Jesus makes the first move. And Jesus says this, follow me and be my disciple. And it says, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Right? Kind of crazy. But the principle is that Jesus makes the first move. See, the the cool thing about Jesus is this, is that Jesus always makes the first move in relationships. In his relationship with you, his love for you, Jesus loved you before you ever loved him. Jesus loves you, even in the midst of whatever's going on. Jesus leaves heaven to come to this earth to die on a cross and be raised from the dead so that you don't have to try to get to him. His love compelled him to come to you first. And so if we're going to take the next step at really loving people, 
we've got to be willing to take the first step. Because listen, you might be asking, okay, Zach, why is it on me, right? Like, I've lived here for, for all this time. And this person in this house, this person in this apartment, they've never come over and said hey to me. You know, we've lived here the same amount of time. They haven't brought me cookies, right? They haven't invited me to the Super Bowl party. Like, why, why is it on me to have to be the one to do this? Because you're the one Jesus is calling to make the decision. Because you're the one who's accepted maybe that Jesus came to you first. So listen, I don't know who they are. Like, I, like say back to my example of Curtis. Listen, I, I don't know if Curtis is a follower of Jesus or not. If he is, then we both have missed out on the boat because we haven't taken the first step. But I can't worry about what he hasn't done. I've got to worry about what I did. See, Jesus wants us to, to take that first step. And, and listen, here's the thing. And so when I go over, and we're planning on doing this this week, right? When I go over and whatever we're going to do to go, you know, initiate the conversation with Curtis and his family, right? It's going to be awkward. Why? Because I've lived there for 11 years. And I don't know his name. So here's my advice. If you just moved into the community, don't wait. Do it now when it's more natural. But maybe you're like, I've lived in this place for 20 years. It doesn't matter. You're called to take the first step. I'm called to take the first step. Well, what if, what if, they, don't, what if they don't answer the door? Then you've taken the first step. Come back later. What if they don't want the cookies? Well, go eat them yourself. But listen, you know, whatever. But you've got to take the first step. Why? Because it's not about what other people are called to do. It's about what we're called to do. You're like, Zach, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not called to do that. Listen, you have a responsibility just like anybody does. We can't blame other people for what's wrong in our society. We've got to be the ones to take the first step. So Jesus takes the first step. He initiates the conversation. He goes to to Levi. He goes to Matthew and he says, listen, I want a relationship. Let's come follow me, right? Come be my disciple. I want to get to know you. And Jesus begins that relationship by taking the first step. He made the first move. What happens next? Well, Jesus not only takes, makes the first move, but then Jesus also meets people where they are. He meets people where they are. Look what happened after Jesus initiates with Levi. It says this in verse 20, uh, 29. It says, later, Levi held a banquet. So he, so he throws a party at his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. So Jesus makes the first move. And then Levi, because of the relationship he now has with Jesus, wants to throw a party so all his other friends can get a chance to to meet Jesus. So Jesus is not only invited to the party, he's the reason for the party. Here's a question I have. Do people want to invite you to their parties? If your neighbors got together and threw a block party, would they want to invite you? Would they think to invite you? <laughs> Maybe not, right? But that's honesty. Listen, Jesus was the guest of honor. Jesus didn't throw the party at the local synagogue. He didn't say, hey, you want to get to know me? Let's all come to the church and we'll throw a party. He didn't even throw the party at his house. He went to the party that he was invited to on their turf. On their terms. 
Listen, if we're going to love people like Jesus did, we've got to be willing to make the first move, but we also have to be willing to meet people where they are. Well, what does that mean practically, right? Well, it means that, listen, if you get invited to that NCAA championship watching party and you hate basketball, you go anyway. It means that if your neighbor's always working on his car and you know nothing about cars, that somehow you take a picture of that car when he's not looking. You go get on the internet and you, you, you kind of figure out what car that is. So that when you or he's outside next time, you can walk over and you can go, hey, that's a 67 Camaro, right? And he goes, yeah, it is. And he's like, hey, do you like this engine and that engine? And you go, whatever you got, because I don't have any idea, right? <laughs> but you're making the initiate. Listen, you're like, I, I don't care about cars. But if he does, meet him on his terms. Ladies, some of you are like, you know, you, you could care less about LuLaRoe, right? Some of you, you're obsessed with it. But some, you could care less. And if you get invited to one more pop-up party, you're going to scream. Guess what? You might need to go to the party. You might need to buy a pair of leggings. You don't have to wear them. But you might need to buy them. Why? Because you're going to get to meet some people there. Listen, write it off, not as your tithe, but your offering, okay? Like to say, listen, this $35, I committed this to Jesus, right? Let God use what's available, but be willing to meet people, you know, where they are. You know, Jesus did that. You know, Jesus was the, the, the type of person that people who didn't even agree with him still wanted him to be around. And so we've got to be people you know, in our neighborhood when we're making the first move. You know, we've got to do that. And here's the thing. It might be that you're not the one who needs to throw the party. See, Jesus didn't throw the party. He was invited to the party. Because the reality is this, is if I was throwing a party, I'm not sure I would even want to come. Because party planning is not my thing. But I know this that this couple over here in this apartment, they're always throwing a party. So why would I try to outdo their party? Why wouldn't I say, hey, listen, I want to throw a party for the community. You guys are always throwing parties. It looks like so much fun. Not sure why I would invite it, but I, you know, that's the thing, right? Listen, I'll buy, will you plan the party? And meet people where they are. Listen, there's two ways that we need to reach out to people in our community. The first one is this, is we need, to, we need to invite. I'm all about invitation. I think we should have a culture where, listen, we want to be a church where if you invite somebody to come, you have confidence that we're going to do our best to make them feel welcome and valued. And so we want you to invite. But there are some people you don't need to invite. You need to use this church word called incarnation. You need to go to where they are. See, Jesus invited people to follow him, but Jesus also met people where they were. They met them on their terms. He gave them a place to belong before he challenged them to become somebody different. We need to be people who do the same thing. So Jesus makes the first move. Jesus meets people where they are. Third thing is this, is that Jesus risked criticism to love people. If you love people, there are going to be people who might not like that. If you truly commit to loving people in your neighborhood, 
There may be other people in your neighborhood that don't understand why you're being nice to that person. You know, why you're being nice to the person who everybody complains about at the HOA because they, they, never, they never cut their yard. Or why are you inviting to this party for everybody else the, the person who's always tap dancing on the floor at 4 a.m. in your apartment complex, right? The people who, you know, have like the five cars out in front of their house. There may be people who criticize you because you're trying to love people. I mean, look, look what happened to Jesus. Verse 30 it says, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law. So the Pharisees are the ultra religious people in Jesus day. They were the ones who thought that they had all the answers, that the way that they were living was right. Everybody else was wrong. And they often looked down upon anybody who wasn't like them. It says, but the Pharisees and their religious and the teachers of religious law complain bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? So listen to this couple of things. Who was complaining? The religious people. If we're going to be people who truly love people where they are and as they are, before we try to convince them to become something that they're not right now, there are going to be people that complain. There are going to be religious people, Christian people that complain. Now, here's what's interesting. We talked a minute ago that Jesus was invited to the party. Guess who wasn't invited to the party? The Pharisees, the religious people. Partly because how did they view the people Jesus was hanging out with? The Bible says that they considered him to be scum. Why would Jesus, why would this teacher, why would this, this rabbi, why would this person hang out with irreligious people? Why would he hang out with people that don't do what we think they should be doing? And so they complain. But, but look who they complain to. They said they complained to Jesus' disciples. They didn't go and have a sit down over coffee with Jesus and kind of ask him what was going on. What's your motivation? What's your point? They complained about Jesus behind his back. Listen, I, I don't know who the somebodies are that people talk to. But I kind of wish the somebodies would just shut up sometime. Because if I have one more person come up to me and say, somebody said this, I don't care who they are if they're not willing to talk to me. Or the, a lot of people, you ever get that one? Well, a lot of people feel this way. Who? You, that's one. Who else? Like, tell me. See, we got to be careful who we listen to when it comes to criticism and critique. If Jesus would have listened to the Pharisees, he would have forgotten the mission that God had put him here for. And we have that same mission. Listen, if we choose to love people, if we choose to get involved with messy and perfect people, there are going to be some people who criticize that. If we as a church truly embrace our, our purpose to, to be a place where all people can experience life in Jesus, some of those all people like us are messy, broken people. There are going to be people that can criticize the fact that we're reaching out to people who they wouldn't want to come into their church. But who did Jesus listen to? Not the critics, 
Hey, listen to God. Now, you may be asking, okay, well, Zach, hold on a minute. We got to be careful, right? Because, you know, if we go over to this party and there's stuff happening there that we shouldn't be doing, like, you know, we, we got to be careful about that. Well, let me just kind of just maybe challenge you in this way. Jesus was the son of God, sinless, perfect, hung out with sinful people all the time. So here's the principle. You don't sin by hanging out with sinful people. You don't become like people just by being around people. So do we as followers of Jesus need to make sure that we have certain boundaries, that we don't compromise principles, that if there's some stuff going on that really shouldn't be going on, that we may have to bow out occasionally? Absolutely, we got to watch that. But we got to be careful that we don't isolate ourselves so much that we actually build walls between the people that God has placed us to love. Because here's the thing. If God had done that for you and for me, we would never become a Christian. If Jesus had said, I'm going to stay in heaven, not come to earth, because if I go to earth, I'm going to be tempted to sin. Then none of us would have hope. None of us would have joy. None of us would have eternal life. Yet Christian after Christian has made that statement. I can't go there. I can't be there. I can't go because I might be tempted to sin. Be wise. But don't, don't miss out. Listen, Jesus was criticized because he hung out with people that the religious people didn't think he should be hanging out with. But in that, he never compromised who he was. He didn't allow the critics to determine his character, his motivation. I think we, we can do the same thing. Is it hard? Absolutely. But we can do it. Why? Because the Bible tells us if you're a follower of Jesus, the power of God resides in you. So Jesus takes the first step. Right? Jesus meets people where they are. He risks getting criticized to love people. And, and the reason he does all of that, I believe, is the fourth reason. Is that Jesus understood his greater mission. He understood the greater mission that, that God had called him to. He understood that the reason he was on this earth, he was sent to the earth, was more than just about himself and hanging out with people that were like him. That he was there for a greater purpose. Look how he responded to the criticism of the religious people. It says this, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So I think if we're not careful, we can kind of create this, this bubble around where we live. And we can spend all of our time looking inside of our house and never looking outside of the house. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we've got to be especially careful about that. Because, because if we're not careful, if I just, just talk with you for a minute, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll create this Christian bubble around our lives that will isolate us from the very people we're called to love and build relationships with. Listen, there, there's nothing inherently wrong with 
you know, Christian sports leagues or, you know, Christian movies or, you know, being at church and being a part of Bible studies and that kind of stuff. But, but too often we'll surround ourselves with so many Christians that we don't even know how to talk to somebody who doesn't believe the way we do. And we develop this Pharisee idea that we're better and they're less. And so we got to be careful that we don't become so Christianified, if that's a word, so surrounded just by people like us that we lose sight of the greater mission. In Matthew 28, Jesus' final words to his followers before he went to heaven, after the cross, after the resurrection, he, he gave the, the, the parting words, the parting orders. And here's what he said. He said, I want you to go. And I want you to go into the world. He said, don't just stay. Don't just huddle up. He said, I want you to go. And I want you to go and I want you to lead people to put their faith and trust in me. And I want you to teach them all the things and the truth about life that you've come to know is is true and real. I want you to baptize them. I want you to, to lead them to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And that only happens when we begin to look outside of ourselves. We begin to do what Jesus did. It only happens when we begin to make the first move where we we begin to meet people where they are on their own terms, their own turf, instead of always making them come to us. That we'd be willing to be criticized because we're loving and hanging out with people that, that Jesus hung out with. And that we never forget there's a greater mission and a purpose to even while you're in that apartment that you're in. While you're in that, 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 that trailer that you're in, while you're in that, that house, wherever you live, Jesus placed you there to fulfill his mission. Why we as a church are where we are is because Jesus has placed us here to fulfill his mission. And the only way that's going to happen is when we become so uncomfortable with not knowing our neighbors, with not living this out, that we're willing to take that next step that we're willing to make the first move to meet people where they are, to risk maybe being criticized and to always keep the mission before us. That if we're willing to do that, then God can take whatever we have to offer because it's all about this journey. So here's the question, here's the challenge for today, the takeaway. What is your next step? My next step is to what? Well, I'm not asking you, God's not asking you to figure out the end. He's just saying, what's your next step? Your next step could be like me, it's going over and saying, hey, Curtis, I've lived here for 11 years. My name's Zach, it's good to meet you. It could be my other neighbor. Hey, Mike, you know, we talk all the time, but you know, why don't you come over for dinner? Because I, I want to get to know more about your past. You know, in, in the book, they, they give these, these next steps. They say, listen, to, to move from a stranger to an acquaintance, one thing you can do is, is take this map and actually fill it in. Get to know people's names. 
They suggest in the book that one of the ways to move from uh, an acquaintance to a relationship to really get to know some people is to actually throw a party, to have a block party. Maybe you're like, I'm not sure I'm there yet. Well, what is your next step? Maybe you are good with cars and you go over and offer help to your neighbor who's out working on their car. You may, whatever you do, what's the next step? And it's recognizing and, re, recognizing and realizing this, that no matter how small the step might be, God can use that step to do incredible things. Let me leave this one quote and we'll be done. In the book, they talk about this idea because in God's economy, there's nothing too small to do a great thing. God often takes small things, little gifts, little offerings, the, the weakest of people, the, 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 you know, not, not the great leaders to do incredible things through. And here's what, he's, here's what they say. This simple truth can change everything. Small things matter. They really do. It doesn't take a superhero to be a great neighbor. We all wish we were a little bit more of something, smarter, funnier, or wealthier. Often we have a hard time recognizing what we do have to offer. Maybe you're struggling today because you're actually, you're wondering this question. Do these people really even want to get to know me? Would they want to be my friend? Listen, you have something to offer everybody. No matter who's told you the opposite, you have value. You have purpose. You have importance. And God's going to use that. But he says, listen, often we have a hard time recognizing what we do have to offer. When it comes to neighboring, it's important to figure out how we can make a difference in the lives of our neighbors. It may not seem that we have much, but when we give from what we have, something sacred happens. Check this out. God uses the small things that we bring to him. And he multiplies them into a miracle in someone else's life. Story after story after story in, in the Bible is about somebody having a little bit to offer and God doing something really big with that. But he never did that with people who didn't have the faith and willingness to take the next step. So here's the question. What's your next step? What is it God is calling you to do? to maybe move from that stranger to the acquaintance, to building that relationship. No matter how small it may seem, if you do it, if you in faith do it, if you take that next step, you take that risk, I believe God's gonna bless that. And you may not see the blessing just like that, but God's gonna use that in you and in others. So what is your next step? You know, this morning it could be to come and to write the names of the people who you've got to know on these two boards up front so we can pray over those and pray that God would help us get to know these people more and more. It could be to fill out the back of that map. It could be to text somebody, call them up and say, hey, what are you doing this afternoon at two o'clock? It could be to change your afternoon plans. I don't know what it is, but what is God calling you to do? Will you respond in that? And as we sing this song, will you realize, can we realize and remember this? That when he calls us to do something, he does it with us. That he's with you. 
He's strengthening you. He's empowering you. Because that's how God operates. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. Just got the, the simplicity of it. But God, also the, the power behind it. And Father God, I pray that, that in these moments as we just reflect through this song that you are the rock that doesn't move. You're the foundation that we can always rely on. That no matter the next step, we don't take that next step alone because you're with us. And so God, give us the courage, the boldness, the, the discipline, the time, the, the burden to really do that next step, to take that baby step, whatever it might be. And we trust you with the results. Work during this time, God, in Jesus' name.